Welcome everyone. I'm stoked that you could be with us for today's Beach Talk. I want to help us understand every word of God that's in the Word of God because we are disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility as disciples to understand God's Word and decide ahead of time that we're going to do what it says. This is what it means to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. So our objective is simple. It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches so the grassroots movement of Jesus can continue all over the world. Now in 2020, we had four churches in two countries. And in 2021, our vision is to have eight churches in four countries. So please agree with us in prayer about this as this is the vision we have for this year because it's not the number of people that we have in our church, it's the number of churches that our people start. Now, this is our key performance indicator, our KPI. This is our driving metric for ocean water. So be praying about this and keep this in front and center of your mind about what God might be talking to you about. So today we're in Matthew chapter 17, verses one through three. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. And as he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now Jesus was transformed to, to show us that we can be transformed. This is what Jesus does. He transforms people. He took Peter, James, and John. Jesus did not invite all the disciples to this experience, but only these three. Jesus did this to prevent the account of this miracle being told before the time was right. Now others have suggested that he did this because there were three needed, these three needed closer supervision than the others, sort of the class clowns of the group. Now, Jesus led them on a high mountain and was transfigured before them. Now the word transfigured speaks of a transformation, not merely of a change in outward appearance. The effect was extremely striking. Jesus became so bright in appearance that he was even difficult to look at, like the sun, S-U-N. Now the verb metamorpho here means transfigure or to change in form. It suggests a a change of the inmost nature that could be outwardly visible. Now essentially this was not a new miracle, but the temporary cessation of an ongoing one. The real miracle was that Jesus most of the time could keep from displaying his glory. John said we beheld his glory. Now Peter wrote, we were witnesses of his majesty. Now his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. It was his face that did shine as the sun. He wasn't transformed into another being with another body. It was his own face that made this light. Jesus was showing us that we can be transformed by God's power because this is what he does in people's lives. Jesus was his, had his disciples with him and he was not glorified apart from them because we share in his glory, just like we do in God's kingdom work here on earth. Then Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Now these two Old Testament people appeared and spoke with Jesus. Moses lived 1400 years before, Elijah 900 years before, but they become a part of this story in a miraculous way, maybe in like a resurrected or glorified state. Now they represented both the Old Testament law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. The sum of the Old Testament revelation came to meet with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we can say that Moses and Elijah represent those who were caught up to God and 
define their experience up to that point. More specifically, Moses represents those who die and go to glory, and Elijah represents those who are caught up to heaven without death, as described in the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, in verse 4 and 5, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Jesus is establishing his supremacy. Is he supreme in your life? Is he number one for you? This is a rhetorical question meant to make you think. Think about that. Is Jesus supreme in your life? Now, though said without careful thought, the effect of these words put Jesus on an equal level with Moses and Elijah, building equal shrines for each of them. This is not what was intended. Peter sort of didn't know what he was talking about. Now, this is the cloud of God's glory called the Shekinah in the Old Testament. From this cloud of glory, God the Father spoke. This is kind of the experience that they were having here. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. The Father from heaven rebuked Peter's attempt to put Jesus on an equal footing with Moses and Elijah. And while he was still speaking, it was, in, it was important to interrupt Peter so that all would know that Jesus is unique and the beloved son of God. He deserves our special attention. So we need to hear him. This is another development as well in the theme of the conflict between Jesus and the religious people. For these words from heaven, God the Father clearly set Jesus above the law and the prophets. He's not to be uh, seen as merely another lawgiver or a prophet. Jesus is the Son of God. Now hear him. If we should listen to anyone, we should listen to Jesus. One would think that a voice from heaven would say, listen to me, but the Father said, hear him. Everything points us to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, if Peter is our master, let us call him that. If Calvin is our master, let us call him that. Or if John Wesley is our master, let, him, let us call him that. But if we are disciples of Jesus, then let us follow Jesus and follow him with other men only so far as we perceive that they followed Christ. Now verses 6 and 8, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. For when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, the, the disciples reacted with fear like we sometimes do. They didn't fall on their faces when they saw Jesus transfigured, not when his face shone like the sun, not when his clothes became as white as the light, not when Moses and Elijah appeared with him, not when Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus, and not even when the cloud of glory appeared or overshadowed them. But when the disciples heard the voice from heaven, they fell on their faces and they were afraid. You see, sometimes when God talks to us, it can shake us up. When God really starts, starts speaking to you, sometimes we can fall on our face in fear. Now the disciples were once again uniquely in awe of Jesus. This helps explain the purpose of the transfiguration to reassure the disciples that Jesus was the Messiah, even if he would indeed be crucified as he had, as he had so surprisingly revealed. Now note the context, Jesus just revealed his humiliation and sufferings to them. 
it makes sense that they receive another divine testimony to Jesus' status as the Son of God at this time. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's significant that their entire focus was forced upon Jesus once again. Now the cloud was gone, Moses had left, and Elijah had disappeared. It might have been that after the events of the Transfiguration, no one remained for the disciples. Theoretically, when the experience was over, there would have been no more Moses, no more Elijah, no Jesus. This is exactly the experience of many. They have some spiritual experience or receive a little bit of the Holy Spirit. When it's over, it's done and gone. Nothing remains. We are to make sure that Jesus remains in our life. This is why we need Jesus and his word. It might have been that after the events of the Transfiguration, only Moses remained for the disciples. Now, theoretically, when the experience was over, there would have been only Moses, though Moses was a great man compared to Jesus. He was like the moon is to the sun. It would be sad to exchange the grace and truth that came by Jesus for the law that came by Moses. But there are those sad ones who only see Moses in his law, not Jesus. Now, it might have been that after the events of the Transfiguration, only Elijah remained for the disciples. When the experience was over, there would have only been Elijah. Elijah was a man great for the power of his word and the boldness of his national reforms, yet all this doesn't compare to the person and work of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Not national reform, but personal reform. Now, verses 9 through 13, now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will, will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus told the disciples not to speak of the transfiguration until after his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus was the final confirmation of his ministry and glory. Until then, reports of the transfiguration would be more likely to test the faith of those who did not see it rather than strengthen their faith. But I say to you that Elijah has come already Yet, there was also a sense in which Jesus could rightly say, Elijah has come already. Elijah had arrived in the work of John the Baptist, who, had, who ministered in, in Elijah's spirit and power, according to Luke 1. You see, this is evident from a comparison of the life of both Elijah and John the Baptist. There were some similarities. Elijah was noted as being full of zeal for God, so was John the Baptist. Elijah boldly rebuked sin in high places, so did John the Baptist. Elijah called sinners and compromisers to a decision of repentance, and so did John the Baptist. Elijah attracted multitudes in his ministry, so did John the Baptist. Elijah attracted the attention and fury of a king and his wife, so did John the Baptist. In fact, that ultimately cost him his life. Elijah was a wise man, and so was John the Baptist. Elijah fled to the wilderness. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. 
Elijah lived in a corrupt time and was used to restore a failing spiritual life, and this was also true of John the Baptist. Now look at verses 4, 14 through 16. It says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. This particular boy's epileptic symptoms were demonic in origin, though not epileptic symptoms are demonic in origin, but they are in this story. The narrative tells us that the boy was made deaf and dumb by this demon. Jesus can heal, but he doesn't always heal. In this story, he heals and he eliminates the devil. He says they brought him to his disciples, but they could not cure him. Sometimes Jesus' followers fail, but Jesus never does. The man was wise for going straight to Jesus when his followers failed. On previous occasions, the disciple did not cast out demons, yet here they could not cure him. This is because there are ranks of demonic powers, according to Ephesians 6, and evidently some demons are stronger or more stubborn than others. Since the disciples have been given the authority to cast out demons before in Matthew 10, apparently this demon was more difficult than most. So Jesus takes care of it. Their failure was in fact good for them, just like failure is good for us, because our failure can teach us not to get into a rut of just doing things. It can teach us the superiority of Jesus. When we are weak, he is strong. It can help us to wish for the presence of Jesus and long for it. It can help us to come to Jesus with more problems, which is what we're supposed to do. And Jesus takes care of this problem because Jesus has authority over everything. Now look at verse 17 through 21. He says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? Shall I bear with shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured at that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, what is he teaching us here? Now, there's a sense that Jesus is frustrated with his disciples. His season of ministry before the cross was coming to an end, and perhaps he felt frustrated that his disciples did not have more faith, and they should have been able to take care of this themselves. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. Jesus delivered the demon-possessed boy instantly. What was too hard for the disciples was not too hard for Jesus. Jesus laid the inability of the disciples to cast out the demon at their unbelief. To be successful in a battle against demons, there must be trust in the Lord God who has complete authority over the demons. There are some things which are obtained by a stronger faith and by more fervent and, and opportunity prayers than others are. A mercy sometimes seems to be, seems to come to the hand of God more easily for those who were wrestling with it. There was no point in blaming the boy or his father for the demon, though the demon was strong and had been there long before. The fault lay in the disciples. If you have faith as a mustard seed, the faith that must have has more to do with what kind of faith it is than how much there is. 
A small amount of faith, as small as a mustard seed, a very small seed, can accomplish great things or huge things if that small amount of faith is placed in God. What an encouragement that God can do a lot with a little bit. Little faith can accomplish great things, but great faith can accomplish even greater things. What matters most is what our faith is in, the object of our faith. Jesus here in effect calls faith an uprooter of mountains, a phrase current in the Jewish schools for a rabbi distinguished, distinguished by, uh, through personal experience. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. We show our faith in and a reliance on God through prayer and fasting. It displays an occupation with and dependence on Jesus. Great prayer and fasting will display an earnestness before God that brings answer to prayer. We often pray dispassionately, almost asking God to care about things we care little or nothing about. Prayer and fasting demonstrate a willingness to identify with the afflicted person, an understanding of the strength of the demonic world, a dependence upon God 100%, a desire to fight and sacrifice for the sake of of deliverance. Now verses 22 and 23, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and on, and on the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Though they were frequent, these reminders about Jesus' suffering and resurrection were disbelieved and forgotten by the disciples until after his resurrection. Jesus rarely told his disciples about his coming death without also telling them about the coming resurrection. We know that the disciples really didn't comprehend the triumph of the resurrection because they were so sad about it. We easily get overwhelmed by our circumstances. Sometimes grief can, can overshadow our success. Now, verse 24 through 26, when they'd come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? For whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? Their sons are strangers. Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? This was a normal tax or a fee applied to every Jewish person. Faithful Jewish men paid this obligation. Others sought to escape the responsibility. Just like today, some people pay their taxes and others people try to not pay their taxes. We're supposed to pay our taxes and, you, as, and get out of as many taxes as long as it's legal. <laughs> now verse 27, he says, and when you and go down to the fish and when it's open its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them. Uh, give to them for me and you. Jesus was not obligated to pay this tax under the principle he had just discussed with Peter, that as a son, not as a servant. He did not have to pay this temple tax, yet Jesus also recognized the importance of avoiding controversy. So he paid his taxes, just like we're supposed to, and so was willing to pay the tax, just as not to offend those who question. Now the use of the Greek word uh, scandalizine leads us to think that Jesus was saying, we must pay so as not to set a bad example for others. 
we're not meant only to do our duty, we must, be go, we must go beyond our duty in order that we may show others the right way to be. Now, if Peter was a professional fisherman who used nets, not a hook and a line, it must have humbled Peter to fish in this manner, and we can imagine that he had hoped none of his other fishermen friends saw him trying to catch one fish at a time. He had much more pride than that. Jesus trusted in the miraculous provision of God. It's not every day or any day that someone catches a fish and takes a coin out of its mouth to pay his taxes. But Jesus used this provision to pay his taxes. Now, we don't know why Jesus didn't tell Peter to, to provide enough to pay for all of the disciples. Perhaps it was implied or understood uh, that at this time, Jesus, uh, it was only required of Jesus and Peter because it was the collection from the city of Capernaum and only Peter and Jesus were at this time residents of Capernaum. So this wraps up our time today looking at Matthew chapter 17. Now, I love it when God speaks to us through his word. God always speaks to us every time we hear his word. Now, what was God speaking to you about today? Let's talk to God about that. Let's pray about that together. Maybe you've never prayed before. Prayer is just talking to God. Maybe you need to hit reset in your life or get a fresh start. Or maybe you need to stop doing some things in your life and start doing some new things. You know, we can always pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray together right now. Just say, God, help me to change my life. Hit the reset button on my life. Give me a fresh start. Help me to stop the things I know I need to stop and help me to start the things I know I need to start. Help me to follow you, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want us to take our offering. The Bible teaches us to give as part of our worship. Christians have been practicing this for thousands of years. I didn't invent giving, God did. The Bible teaches the concept of giving 10% of our incomes to support God's work in the world through the local church. That's what we teach. That's what we want to be a part of. We want to use the resources that come in to bless the world. In our case, helping people get their water out of the ocean for free. And God is helping us do that. Be faithful today in the giving that God puts in your heart. Now, if you would like to do that, how to give, you can go to oceanwater.com and do your giving there. We are all set up for that. I pray God's blessing on you. Have a beautiful day.